0: I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today's topic is the Nephilim UFO Connection, Part 3. This is a very important topic and one that we will be seeing more of as we get closer to the Kingdom, so I encourage you to listen to Parts 1 and 2. In part one, we viewed this topic from our perspective and the ways that we opened the door to Nephilim activity. Part two presented the Nephilim's point of view, how they describe themselves, where they come from, their role in the creation of mankind and what they want from us. In today's episode, we'll look at this issue from God's perspective how he has dealt with these beings over the years, why he hasn't come in and stopped what they're doing. In other words, how will this topic ultimately impact us? You may recall from an earlier episode that Eleazar ben Yehuda, considered to be the father of modern Hebrew, said on his deathbed in 1922, Before Messiah comes, the biggest subject on people's minds and hearts Will be the Nephilim. In this episode, I want to try to answer three questions. Number one, what exactly are these UFOs referred to by our government as UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena? Number two, are they referenced in the Bible? And number three, why does God appear to be sitting back and doing nothing about them? Now, to set the stage here, I want to summarize four key takeaways from part two, which cited two sources, our biblical record and the ancient writings by the Nephilim themselves. Takeaway number one, we learned that three royal siblings, Enlil, his half-brother Enki, and their sister Ninhursag, were assigned by their father, Anu, to come as gods from their planet, Nibiru, to rule over the planet Earth. Now, this took place thousands of years before Moses wrote the history of mankind as God revealed it to him. These three gods, with a little g, but they were called Elohim, were intimately involved with the creation and development of mankind we learned takeaway number 2 that these gods were able to take off from earth into the heavens and roam the skies at will their saucer-looking vehicles were what set them apart from earthlings takeaway 3 we learned that two versions of human beings began multiplying on the earth those created by inky's genetic engineering and manufacturing expertise and the biblical lineage of Adam and Eve, who were created by Almighty God. And finally, number four, we learned that these gods used intermediaries to teach the humans the laws of the gods, and these lofty or illumined ones were given the power to enforce the will of the gods upon mankind. Let's examine the nature of these two races of humanity. Now, during the creation phase, the Nephilim made sure that they mixed the actual blood of a god along with clay to manufacture their primitive workers. Inky used genetic engineering through trial and error to bind into the genetic code of Homo erectus, or ape man, to bind the traits that Inky wanted in his version of mankind. He did not create man from nothing. Only the creator of the universe has the power to do that. But Inki, who is a, simply another name for Satan, is a master at theft and deception and claimed ownership of a race of beings whose origin was never his to claim. The Bible says that Satan left his first estate. In other words, he refused to remain in the position that God placed him to be a servant to mankind. Instead, he used his knowledge of the intricate workings of DNA and began manufacturing a race of beings who would carry his blood, be predisposed to worship him rather than Jehovah, and would manifest his nature. Jesus said a very interesting thing in Mark 13 in preparing his disciples for the end of days. He said, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation which God created until now. Now, did you catch that? From the beginning of the creation which God created. This means there was another creation which God did not create, and that's what we're talking about. Jesus is clearly differentiating two races of humanity, the one the Lord God created and the one Satan stole and manufactured through genetic engineering and crossbreeding by lesser gods and humans. Now, these two races live side by side, even today, but genetically are as different as day is from night. And this is what Jesus speaks about in the parable of the two seeds in Matthew 13. Two different seeds were sown into the same field, which is a picture of earth. But while men were sleeping, the sower's enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants asked the sower, Do you want us to go and gather the weeds? But he said, No. Lest, in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, there are significant insights here. In an earlier episode, I explained the phenomenon known as decoys. These are people who look like the real thing, but who are fake at their core. Now, this invasion into our population by decoys is growing rapidly. The second thing to notice is that toward the very end of this passage, Jesus said that the angels will be binding the weeds into bundles. Now, we see this going on now with those who are being bound together with others who are like-minded in their leftist, socialist, godless, perverted ideologies. This segment of the population is growing rapidly and causing tremendous upheaval all over the world. Jesus said the binding of these influences will continue to grow and become more and more disruptive Until the day of the Lord, when the wheat is snatched up and gathered into his barn. I want you to have a biblical reality check here. Things are not going to get better. Life will become more oppressive as this group grows and assumes more power. Another biblical picture we need to look at as a sign involves Jesus' last seven days on earth. During that final week, Jesus, who is a picture of the body of Christ, is captured by the evil mob. One of the last things he said when he was arrested was this. It's found in Luke 22. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This saying foreshadows what is prophesied to happen to the generation of his return. There is coming what he calls an hour, which is an appointed period of time when God allows a power of demonic darkness to rule. God has a timetable for the wheat who are intertwined with the weeds prior to the day of the Lord. Yet another biblical evidence of two races growing side by side is found in Jesus' verbal assault on the scribes and Pharisees in John 8. When he says, If God were your father, you would love me. But you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, these were the righteous leaders of the day, and Jesus calls out the identity of their DNA because they were just like their father, the devil. Now, what were those traits that put them in that category? Number one, they did not regard or love jesus number 2 they recoiled at his words and number 3 their desires and actions were in line with satan's character the ones in our midst who are struggling the most and for whom i believe there is yet a sliver of hope are what i call the mixed seed those whose blood contains a significant percentage of blood that does not belong to the Father. Now, Jesus talks with these people, again in John 8, when he says, I know you are descendants of Abraham. In other words, there was some good DNA in them, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. There is a limited window of time to intercede for those who are on the fence here. Now, thankfully, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, for even the thief on the cross was told that he would be with the Lord in his kingdom. But this window of time is short. If you are listening to this and you do not know to whom you belong, please know that God Almighty is extending his mercy to you. We read in Hebrews 3 Today, when you hear his voice. That means today. The Father has promised us a kingdom, but I won't lie to you, we're going to see some scary stuff between now and then. But if you are of age, then you are given the freedom to decide which parent you want to live with in eternity. I pray that you choose the Lord. If you have questions, please reach out to me at com. So if you're asking, where is God in all of this? I believe the evidence shows that he has removed his hand of blessing and is turning us over to this growing darkness. We read a poignant conversation that Ezra the priest had with the Lord. It's found in the book of 2nd Estrus in the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha are the biblical books that were highly regarded by the early church but were not included in the Hebrew Bible. In chapter 8, Ezra was very troubled about all the people who were going to die during God's judgment. And here's how God responded to him. Those who inhabit the world in the last days will be afflicted with many great miseries because they have walked in great pride. The Most High did not wish man to perish, but those who were created have defiled the name of him who made them, and proved ungrateful to him who prepared life for them. Therefore my judgment is now drawing near. As many as failed to acknowledge me and disdained my law, while an opportunity to repent was still open to them, did not understand, but scorned it. These must recognize it after death through torment." So no longer be curious as to how the ungodly will be punished, but ask how the righteous will be saved. Now, Ezra was still troubled, and he said, There are more that perish than those that will be saved, as a wave is greater than a drop of water. And the Lord answered, Those who have been created in this world, which is provided with an unfailing table and an inexhaustible pasture— had become corrupt in their characters. So I considered my world, and behold, it was lost, and my universe, and behold, it was in danger because of the devices of those who had come into it. And I saw, and I saved myself one grape out of a cluster, and one plant out of a forest. So let the multitude perish. That were born in vain, but let my grape be saved and my plant, because with much labor I have perfected them. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I believe it is the remnant, the one grape here, the one plant there, who are most on God's mind, the very few for whom the kingdom is prepared. But we need to be discerning to tell the difference between those who belong to God and those who belong to the devil's race of humanity. Let me review the six differentiators between God and Satan because it's their traits that show up in their offspring. Number one, God creates from nothing. Satan copies and steals. Number two, God cares about his creation. Satan uses his followers for his own ends. Number three, God shares his kingdom with his family. Satan instills in his underlings the compulsion to deceive, manipulate, and claw their way to power. Number four, God feels love and compassion for his children. Satan seeks to steal from, kill, and destroy those under his rule. Number five, God creates each person for a unique purpose. Satan abandoned the way that he was created and champions rebellion in others. And number six, God created sex to unite husband and wife and create godly families. Satan uses sex in lascivious ways to fulfill the lusts of the flesh and lure people away from following the Lord. Now, finally, let's talk about their flying machines. The first one we see is in second Kings when the Lord came to take Elijah up to heaven. We read in chapter two: A chariot of fire and horses of fire separated Elijah and elisha, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The Hebrew word for chariot is Reb, which is a vehicle a wagon to ride on or to place upon. This chariot was fiery, meaning flames spewed out of it, and it swept Elijah up and snatched the prophet up into the heavens in what was described as a whirlwind, like a tornado. It was an actual vehicle that defied all of our present laws of aerodynamics. We read how God took our seventh patriarch, Enoch, in the book of Jasher, which is mentioned in our scriptures. In chapter 3, Jasher writes, An angel of the Lord called unto Enoch from heaven and wished to bring him up to heaven to make him rule there over the sons of God. And as Enoch was teaching his people, they lifted their eyes and Enoch ascended in a whirlwind with horses and chariots of fire. The next person who witnessed a flying machine from heaven is in the book of Ezekiel. Only the vehicle that he saw was called the chariot of God. In chapter 1, the prophet Ezekiel describes this vehicle in detail using descriptive phrases such as a wheel within a wheel. Brightness shone all around it. Fire flashed forth continually. In the midst of were four living creatures that stood upright as men, each having four faces and four wings, going straight forward without turning. In the middle were what looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving to and fro, and four wheels with rims full of eyes. The sound of their wings was the sound of many waters, like thunder, Above them was a throne, with one seated on the throne in gleaming splendor. The glory of the Lord was so overwhelming, the prophet fell on his face and trembled. This is God's chariot, referred to many times throughout the Bible, such as Jehovah is carried upon the clouds, upon the wings of the cherubim. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. Psalm 68 says, To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, the power is in the skies. Zechariah had a vision in chapter 6 where he saw four chariots come out from between two mountains, a red horse, a black horse, a white one, and a grizzled one. That's four UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. They presented themselves before the Lord to patrol all over the earth. Now, the timetable of both Ezekiel's and Zechariah's visions seems significant, especially as to why we are seeing activity in the skies now. Ezekiel was given the assignment to pronounce the destruction of Jerusalem. His message was one of woe and mourning, saying that God is absolutely just in bringing all this upon them because of the wickedness of their actions toward God. But his was also a call to deep repentance, telling them of all that God has prepared for those who remain faithful to him. He saw the chariot of God six years before Jerusalem was destroyed. As to Zechariah's time frame when he saw the four wheels, or chariots, it was in the year 520 B.C. in the month of Heshvan. Now, in the Torah readings called Parashat that God's people are to read during that time, the passage comes from Genesis 6-11, through concerning the days of Noah following the invasion of the Nephilim. In it, the Lord declares, I will blot out man whom I have created, but Noah has found favor. I believe this has significance today when we are witnessing the early stages of the Nephilim visibly invading our world. If God travels around in an incredible flying chariot, shouldn't we assume that the Nephilim knew how to make something similar? They would want to accomplish several things by coming to earth now. Number one, they would want to wow mankind with their power ahead of the coming of the Lord in his fury to avenge the wickedness on earth. Number two, they would want to copy whatever Jehovah does. He has a chariot, they have theirs. And number three, most significant, is that it is highly probable that Satan is madly rushing to experiment through genetic engineering to create his version of the four living creatures that carry Jehovah's throne through the heavens. Just read how God's living creatures have parts of different beings. Now, doesn't that sound like mixed species to you? Zechariah Sitchin writes from their artifacts that what we know of as aliens, some with oblong heads and others who are called reptilians, were actually droids that the Nephilim created to perform their abductions and medical experiments inserting humans with alien DNA. Because the Messiah is coming soon to remove his children from the earth, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes with the skies filled with heavenly chariots to retrieve us. So wouldn't the enemy want to make an advance entrance with his vehicles in order to steal the Almighty's thunder, so to speak? They probably will even try to take credit for the removal of millions of people who suddenly disappear, saying they got in the way of advancing the new world order. And they will be heralded as heroes and deserving of worship. You'll find this episode on my podcast page under resources at candislong.com. In closing, let me remind you of a promise in Deuteronomy 33. There is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help and in His majesty through the skies. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. I'm Candace Long. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.